Thank you for listening to the Moral Revolution podcast. In this session, Dr. Heath Wise will be sharing a message entitled Kingdom Sexuality. Well, sometimes when we talk about sex, we sort of have that deer in the headlights kind of a look. So I don't want today to be a deer in the headlights kind of a look. I want you to feel free to ask questions because this is the time for you. Okay. I want to define, I want to use two words. Sexuality is one and sex is another. And the reason I'm doing that is because we tend to think of sex as the sex act. But you are a sexual being regardless of whether you have sex or not. You're a sexual being. So sexuality is a bigger box. It's a bigger box. In Genesis 1, when God said he made man in his image, male and female, he made them. So your gender is a part of being made in the image of God. Your gender is a part of your sexuality, isn't it? It is. You have sex parts that make you female. That's a part of being female, okay? Just like males do. So sexuality and sex. We're going to talk about the two things. So sex I'm using for the sex act, which is for marriage, and sexuality is a larger component, okay? When we think about what it means for kingdom sexuality, how do we use our sexuality in a way that is in accord with how God designed it to be? So it's important that we look at how he did design it, isn't it? And when you look at Adam and Eve, that really is the place to start. So when we look at Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, didn't he? He gave them a command. He also said to rule. So there is that old word dominion. We are made to rule. We're made to have power. So in our sexuality, in our gender, we are made to have dominion. We're made to rule. Okay. Adam and Eve, when you think about how things are made, um, I had a car. I've never had a, well, I, I stopped to get gas one day, oh, probably 15 years ago. Stopped to get gas and got through filling my tank and just got out from the pumps and my car completely stopped. And I thought, what in the world is wrong with my car? I could not get it to start again. So I had to call the tow truck to come tow my car to the place that would fix it. Well, this was early in the morning. And I got a call from the repairman who I knew, and he said, oh, Miss Wise, it, it won't take us long. We'll have this thing fixed. Well, I waited all day long. Finally, close to 5 o'clock, he called me, and he said, Miss Wise, did you put diesel fuel in your car? <laughs> I said, no, I didn't. I know I didn't, but I did. I put diesel fuel in my car, and apparently that's hard to do because it has a smell that smells really bad, but I did that. And my car, which was designed to run on regular gas, would not run on diesel. It wouldn't run. 
We are designed, we need to know how we're designed because that's the place that we're going to run the, the best. That's the place that we're going to flourish, isn't it? When you think about making something, you design it for the environment that it lives in, right? You design it for where it's going to work the best. So when you think about God designing his people, he designed them for where they would flourish. He wired them for where they would flourish. You know what the word Eden means? It means pleasure. <laughs> it means pleasure, delight. So you were designed to flourish in a place of pleasure. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. God designed you to flourish in a place of pleasure. He also designed you for intimacy. When you think about Adam and Eve, and it said they were naked and not ashamed, that is complete intimacy. Just intimacy. I don't have to hide. You just see who I am. And when you think about their bodies, that used to, this was something I used to really think about. They, they just were complete. I thought, why was it that they were naked and not ashamed? Who decided that being naked was shameful? Yeah. But it really means you can just see who I am. Completely see who I am. Can be vulnerable and you can see me as I really am. Yeah. And when you think about it, the, the implication is that they just were, they never even thought about it. They were just having a good time. Yeah, it's a place of pleasure. So we're made for intimacy. In fact, the research that's coming out now that's not Christian research is that we are hardwired for relationship. Hardwired for relationship. That's the place that we work best when we're in relationship. The third is, I talked about before, is that we're made in the image of God in our gender. Our bodies were designed to interact with God and his kingdom. That's the way our bodies were designed, to interact with God and his kingdom. That's pretty cool. We tend to think about our bodies in a negative way, but our bodies were made to interact with God and his kingdom, and we need to get that back. So pleasure. He made us for pleasure. So you have permission. <laughs> you have permission. You have permission to be sexual. It does not mean to have sex, but you have permission to be a sexual being. You have permission, if you're married, to have sex. You have permission to have a great time at it. <laughs> you can have a fabulous time having sex. You have permission to do that. It is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be life-giving. It's supposed to be something that you really enjoy doing, okay? You have permission. So take risks, be creative. There's a childlikeness that goes with that kind of permission. Now, notice I did not say childishness, but I did say childlikeness. 
There, you have to be able to play to have good sex. You have to be able to play. It's a part of really experiencing good sex, okay? Good sex is mostly in your mind. So when you decide that you're going to have a really good time, it's going to be fun, then you have a greater opportunity to have good sex. So sex is for pleasure, sex is for intimacy, our gender, sexuality is for intimacy, and that's all kinds, emotional, physical, spiritual, yeah. But if you don't have a husband, your sexuality is for intimacy too. So your sexuality helps you connect with people. And we need to do that. I actually define sexuality as a driving force that God has wired us with that moves us to connect with God and others. Your sexuality is a driving force that helps you connect. Your sex drive is a part of that. And your sex drive wants to have sex, but it's a part of that overall big sexuality that God wired us with that moves us to connect. That's a part of your sexuality. So when you're intimate with your girlfriends, that's a part of your sexuality. Yeah, it's being intimate. It's letting people see who you really are so that you can connect. Connect in real ways that are deep and vulnerable. One of the mistakes we make in our culture is that we equate vulnerability with weakness and invulnerability with strength. But vulnerability is a strength because you have to know who you are to be able to be vulnerable. So it's a strength. It's knowing who you are. It's knowing so that I know who I am so I don't have to hide from you. Okay. Intimacy was designed to be males and females in cooperation with each other. Females and females in cooperation with each other. So it's a cooperative endeavor. That's intimacy. Cooperative. We work together. God said we were made to rule, have dominion. This is something that we as females need to know about sex. You are in charge of your own sexuality. Not your husband. You are in charge of your own sexuality. It's you. Yeah. And when you take charge of your sex drive, when you take charge of your sexuality, that's where the power is. Yeah. And that's not a negative power. That is a power. It's a place to rule and have dominion. When I rule in my sexuality, it is life-giving to other people. 
It's life-giving. Sex is for life, isn't it? Sex is about being open to life, isn't it? It is. But sexuality is life-giving too. It's life-giving. So when you think about that as a female, how are you giving life by being a female? Yeah, we need to think about that. How does your femininity give life to other people? Yeah, it's pretty important. It really is. I love the story of Sleeping Beauty. And you know, when we're little girls, we just love those stories about Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty. And Sleeping Beauty, I used to actually get the two stories mixed up and made them into one. But hopefully I'm going to have the real story of Sleeping Beauty today. <laughs> but Sleeping Beauty, you remember, had a, the stepmother that she was too beautiful. And she told the woodcarver cutter to go and take her off and get rid of her. And he couldn't. Is that right? Oh, is this Snow White? <laughs> Snow White slash Cinderella Sleeping Beauty. Okay. All right. Was it Snow White and the... Oh, yeah. Snow White and the Dwarves. Okay. I am mixing two stories. Okay. I'm going to make a better story. <laughs> All right. Uh, which one am I telling? Snow White. Snow White takes her off to the woods and finds out she's still alive and sends the, she comes out and gives her a poison apple. Right? I'm on, I'm on the right story. Gives her the poison apple. She takes a bite of the poison apple and falls asleep. Well, you know what? That's sort of where we are. We've taken a bite of the poison apple and we've fallen asleep. Yeah. Yeah. In Colossians, Colossians 2.8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world. We've been taken captive. Yeah. And we have believed the lies of our culture, many of us. We've believed who we, we've believed lot, not just lies, but we're actually deluded. It's not even reality. Yeah. We've taken the poison apple. I want to read you one of my favorite uh, words in the Old Testament is the word shalom. And we tend to think of shalom as only peace, but it is so much bigger than that. This is, uh, Plantiga is an Old Testament scholar, and this is his definition of shalom. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in equity, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. Universal flourishing, 
wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are met and natural gifts are faithfully employed, all under the ark of God's love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. That sounds a lot like heaven on earth, doesn't it? So the way things ought to be is shalom. And you know how shalom flourishes according to the scripture? We have shalom when there's a covenant. You have a covenant when you come to know God, don't you? A covenant he makes with you. You become his bride, right? You become his lover. He loves you. Yeah. Nathan did such a fabulous job, didn't he, talking about that? Yes. You become God's lover, his bride. In, the, in Genesis, when it said that Adam lay with his wife, he knew his wife, and they had a child, it is the word yada. It means deep experiential knowing. And when in Isaiah, he says, I want to yada you. He wants to know us that way because we're his bride. Yeah, God wants to yada us. Yeah, he's chosen us. We are his treasure. Yeah. So what have we believed? When we, when Adam and Eve fell and left the garden, they got, in a sense, disconnected from the source, didn't they? God was their source. He was their value. And when they left the garden, they got disconnected from the source. When we don't know God, we get disconnected from the source. And we lose the sense of our value. And you know what we do as women? We go after safety. We go after safety. In reality, safety is important. But you get safety when you have value. Because when you treasure something, you're going to take care of it, aren't you? But what happens when we believe a lie is that when we don't know that we're made for pleasure, we're made for intimacy, we're made to flourish in that place, we're made to rule and have power, when we don't know that, then we grab safety any way we can. So I want to go over those things briefly with you because women tend to do certain things. And if you do these things, I want you to recognize it because when we do these things, it's because we don't know our value. 
So it's a red flag for us that we've bitten the poison apple and we need to believe what's true about us, okay? When we, instead of pleasure, when we don't know that we have, that God made us for pleasure, you know what we tend to do? We go after rules. We go after rules instead of relationship. Yeah. And you know what? Rules are boring. <laughs> Do you know boring Christians? <laughs> and you know the world looks at us and goes, Oh my goodness, why would I want that? <laughs> oh, I know some of the most wonderful believers that are not boring. But when we go after rules, we end up in boredom. We do. Because relationships are alive. They're alive. And they're changing. And there's life to them. But when we go after rules, we lose the life. And it becomes boring. Control. We begin to use sex to control and manipulate. Yeah. This is a biggie for women, and they're doing it because they don't feel safe, because they don't know their value. So when you see someone who is using sex to manipulate, you know most people are not evil people. They do things for reasons that make sense to them at the time. Yeah. So she's doing it because she really doesn't feel safe. And that's why she's doing it. We also can be after the next thrill, the next pop. One of the things that we know about sensuality, and I'm going to use that word sensuality in a negative right here, but actually I want us to take sensuality back (laughs) because it's God who gave you senses. (laughs) I want us to take that back. Yeah, he made us that way. But when we go after what we typically think of as sensuality, it is like a black hole. It can't be satisfied. And so we go after more and more and more. And you know what happens? Actually, in our brains, they get what's called sensitized, and you get less and less pleasure. So the thing it promised, it gives you the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. That's the negative of sensuality. When we don't know about pleasure, it becomes a commodity. I have girls that sit in my office and say, well, he took me to dinner, so I needed to have sex. Yeah. That's not that uncommon. Well, I owed it to him. He spent money on me. So we've lost a sense of our value. It is not a commodity. I was watching, uh, I love reality shows that are food reality shows. (laughs) Love those, those cooking shows. And I was watching one and with my daughter, and I was watching this, this girl on there, and she was young. And 
she was coming across as this little girl. She had this little girl voice. But she was not a little girl. She was 22, 23. She was a woman. But she was coming across in this little girl voice. I thought, wow, we are trained as women to present as little girls. Why do we do that? Why do you think? To get what we want? Yeah. But it's for safety. Who's going who's gonna to beat up a little girl? Or who's going to uh, be angry at a little girl? Nobody. You're going to take care of a little girl. Yeah. You're going to take care of a little girl. So it's about safety. Yeah. But our safety is not in being a little girl. Not at all. And Southern women, particularly, are trained to be little girls. Yeah. To be weak. To be helpless. To be dependent. To be taken care of. Yeah. Instead of intimacy, we learn to not have a voice as women. I have clients who say, well, if I didn't have oral sex, then they wouldn't be with me. I wouldn't have any friends. So there's a sense of, I don't even own my own body. I can't have a voice. It's not okay to say no. It's not okay to say, no, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Shame, anxiety. When, if we're made for intimacy, when we don't have it, we get anxious. Makes sense, doesn't it? And you know what addictions are? They're just a dysfunctional coping skill. That's all they are, a dysfunctional coping skill. Yeah. So when we feel anxious, we tend to go to things to medicate. Yeah. We get lonely. And this is another thing that we do. Become competitive with other women. Yeah. When we don't have intimacy, we become competitive. Because it's almost like there's not enough to go around. There's not enough relationship to go around. Yeah. But it's because we've forgotten our value. Yeah. We're made to rule and... Remember I said our bodies were designed to interact with God and his kingdom? That's what they're designed for. So body image issues are huge. I don't know a woman who doesn't have a body image issue. And when you're talking about sex, then to be naked in the most vulnerable place, we tend to focus on the parts of us we don't like. So we end up either worshiping our body or hating it. And we see body worship, but it's all because we don't know our value. Because we don't know the treasure that we really are. Yeah. I talked about the little girl thing. Uh, in, during research, 
they found that girls at the age of 11, up until they were 11, they wanted to be doctors. They wanted to be pilots. They wanted to be policemen. At about the age of 11, girls quit wanting to be anything that had some power to it. They also quit being smart, so they would hide that they were smart in school. Because if they were smart, then people isolated them in the classroom. They got in trouble, they didn't have relationship. So they learned to not be smart after about 11. Now isn't it interesting that pornography now the first time you look at pornography is about the age of 11 for guys. Yeah. For girls, about the age of 11, that's when they quit believing in who they really are. Yeah. They learn not to have big dreams. So we talked about the poison apple. This is the poison apple. But you know what? We don't have the poison apple, do we? We don't. Because the prince has kissed us and we're alive. We're alive. We've just forgotten. And we need to remember. We need to remember who we really are. Who we are as women. Because it's so important to know who we really are. When you think about who God made you to, real, to be, when you think about the dreams that you used to have, one of the things I ask my clients to do is, what did you want to be before you were 11? Yeah. What did you want to be? We had dreams. So to know that you have you've been kissed by the prince and you're fully alive you are a passionate woman because that is the way god has made you he has made you passionate he's created you for pleasure so in marriage oh have sex have it often ephesians 5 says awake o sleeper rise from the dead we need to awake and arise from the dead. We need to awake not just as women, but as women in the body of Christ, we need to awake. Because when we are not competitive with each other, oh my goodness, what could we do? Think about this room full of wonderful women, what we could do when we are united with each other. Oh my word. <laughs> we were made to rule. And it doesn't mean we rule over men, but it does mean we were made to rule, to have dominion. There's a reason it was, men, it was women that had that whole thing about stopping drunk driving, because they care about their babies. <laughs> they do. And we as women, we band together, oh my goodness, what we could do. We need to take this back, don't we? We really do. 
You have permission to be alluring. You have permission to be alluring because God made you alluring. He made you alluring. Not using your sexuality to control, but you have permission to be alluring because women are. Women are beautiful. Women's bodies are beautiful. They're absolutely gorgeous. There's a reason that it's, it's usually females that are, were painted nude all those years ago. <laughs> because we're beautiful. We are. I love Rubens. And Rubens' women are on the heavier side, the voluptuous side. They were. They were curvy. And it was beautiful. Curvy women are beautiful. Thin women are beautiful. Women's bodies are beautiful. They are. And it's okay to be alluring because that's the way we're made. That is not being manipulative. We need to inhabit our bodies. Jesus incarnated in his body. Jesus lives in you. He lives in you all the way out to the edge of your skin. And you need to join him there. (laughs) You need to join him all the way out to the edge of your skin. And we tend to hide. But you need to be all the way out to every cell of your body. Now I want to do something with you real quick. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to find your sense of self in your body. Your sense of self in your body. And when you have it, I want you to raise your hand. Your sense of self in your body. Okay, you can put your hands down. Somebody who is willing to share, where's your sense of self? Is this the one you want me to pass around? This one? Hello? Where's yeah. your sense of self? My sense of self, um, actually God's been working on me for a while to show me, because it wasn't easy uh-huh. for a long time for me to see it or to understand it. And I realized that it comes from somewhere deep within me, all the way back to my DNA, programmed in my DNA to who I am now, and my intelligence, my, my figure, my beauty, everything was a gift that was given to me. Yes. And I treasure that now. So where in your body is your sense of self? My heart. (laughs) I don't think it's on. Is it on? Okay. Where in your body is your sense of self? 
Um, whenever I'm trying to find myself, when I get lost, I hold my heart. Okay, so here, all right? For a lot of people, their sense of self is here, right in the center of their being, right in their heart. Anybody else have a sense of self somewhere else in their body? We're going to bring you a microphone. Mine's in my belly. In your belly. That's another common place. In your belly. Yes. So a lot of people have it here. A lot of people have it here in their belly. One more. I don't know. I feel it in my hands. In your hands? Yeah, in the palm of my hands. How interesting. Yeah. yeah that's cool. Yeah. I don't want you to raise your hand if this, your sense of self is in your head. I don't want you to raise your hand. But if your sense of self is in your head, then you are detached from your body. Okay. It means that you have separated from your body and you're not inhabiting it. Now that often happens when we have some trauma of some kind or we hate our bodies. So if that's where your sense of self is, I want you to ask the Father, and that's something I'll pray with you about at the end, ask the Father to help you inhabit your body so that you can love it because it's the way he created you. It's wonderful. I love Anne Lamott, who's an author. She talks about, uh, in the, growing up, we call these things right here palms. <laughs> I don't know what you really call them, but we call them palms. And she said, she calls them her aunties, these two things right here. <laughs> calls them her aunties. And she named them. I've forgotten what their names are, but she named them. And she didn't like that part of her body, but she began to bless them <laughs> because they took her places. And we need to learn to do that with the parts of our bodies we don't like. We all have those. Learn to bless those. Bless those because they really are good. They really are. So you have permission to inhabit your body. With abuse, we need to take that back. And in a room this size, some of you have been abused, sexually, emotionally, physically. And I'm so sorry. Yeah. But we need to take that back. We need to redeem that. There is healing. There is wholeness. Because God gave us shalom. We have shalom. We have shalom. We have shalom. Yes. There is healing. There is restoration. There is fullness in every area of your life. There's fullness. We need to dream and we need to make a difference. We need to make a difference because we're made to rule. We are masters at relationship. Women are masters at relationship. 
So what a great thing that we get to do. We are masters at learning how to be intimate. Most women can do that readily, but we get afraid. So it's stepping into who you are. Once you know your value, then you can be intimate freely. I'm not talking about having sex, but I am talking about being intimate. And we need to distinguish between intimacy and sex. They're not the same. And we get mixed up. It's called the sexualization of intimacy. We get mixed up. So we need to learn to be intimate. In our culture, we are touch-deprived. Little boys in our country are held less than little girls, and especially little boys are touch-deprived. We need to touch each other. And women, what a great thing to have friends that hug you. Single women, hug your friends. (laughs) Hug your friends. (laughs) Hug your friends. Yes. And those of you that are married, hug your husbands. Yeah, we forget to do those things. It's one of the things that builds intimacy. Hug. And in a long-term relationship, we forget to do that. But it actually builds intimacy. There's a chemical called oxytocin that is the bonding chemical. And a hug of a minute, two minutes, ten seconds increases oxytocin. Hugging increases oxytocin. Kissing increases oxytocin. And it's the bonding chemical. So it bonds you together. Isn't that great? Kissing and hugging. Gazing into each other's eyes. Those things you did at the beginning of your relationship, (laughs) it actually bonds you together. So it's one of the things we need to do from here on out when you're in a relationship. You need to learn to do that all the time. So that every day you're hugging, you're kissing, you're looking into each other's eyes. And that builds intimacy. So as single women, one of the questions that's a bottom line question for me is, what does love look like? So in any issue, I'm asking, what does love look like? Because that's the heart of God. What does love look like? So in sexuality, what does love look like? In sex, what does love look like? Well, if it is controlling and manipulative, you know it's not loving, right? So it's just such an easy question. I get really bent out of shape when I hear people say things like, watch the way you dress because you're causing your brother to stumble. Now, if your brother's stumbling, whose responsibility is that? It's his. It's his. Now, I'm not saying that dressing modestly isn't a good thing. I'm not. But you're not responsible for that. And we've put that on women. And it really is a power that you don't have. Everybody's responsible for themselves. And if I see a a young girl who's scantily clad, 
you know what I think? She doesn't know her value. She doesn't know her value. So we need to be value bringers, don't we? (laughs) We need to be calling that out in each other as women so that we understand how we're made. So as a single woman, how do you enjoy your senses? How do you have dominion in your sexuality? Enjoy your senses. Enjoy things that feel good on your skin. Enjoy beautiful lingerie. Go commando if you want to. (laughs) It's okay. Enjoy it. Please, if you're married, get rid of granny panties. (laughs) enjoy buying beautiful things for you it's an okay thing it's an okay thing to enjoy feeling sexual attraction is going to happen attraction is chemical it's totally chemical it's going to happen I tell the story. I had a friend called me from the grocery store one day, and she said, I can't believe it. I was standing in the, the vegetables, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to follow that man home. What is wrong with me? <laughs> there is nothing wrong with her. Nothing wrong with her. She just got a pop of hormones, a surge of chemicals. That's all. And as a single woman or a married woman, that's going to happen. As a married woman, if that happens, you bring your attraction home to your husband. Okay? If you get sexually aroused, you bring it home to your husband. Okay? He'll go, hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) As a single woman, what you do is you say, my body's working, hallelujah. And then you turn that to the Father. You turn that to the Father. Who's your husband? He's your husband. And you worship and you let him feel that in you. You let him yada you because he so wants to yada you. He so wants you to know your worth, how much he loves you. Yeah. It's not all about sex. Sex is fabulous. It is fabulous. It's the icing on the cake. As single women, sometimes I hear, but I'll never have a husband, or I don't have a husband, and there's just this whole focus on not having a husband. But you know what? 
you get to be intimate with 20, 25 people when you go out with your friends. When you're married, it's not as easy to do that. It's not. You get to have a whole crowd to be intimate with. Now, I bless you with a husband if that's the desire of your heart. I bless you with that. (laughs) That's the desire of your heart. But you know what? In the meantime, you can have the time of your life with your friends and with God as he yadas you, as he knows you intimately inside and out, and you can be naked and unashamed with God. Orgasm is a picture of the ecstasy that is yours with God. Yeah, that's what it is. When you get married, it's a covenant. And the marriage ceremony is a covenant uh, celebration. It's a marker of it. When you come to Christ, baptism is a covenant ceremony at the beginning. We have... The Lord's Supper, communion, whatever you call it, that is a covenant renewal ceremony. When you have sex, it is a covenant renewal ceremony. It is worship. (laughs) It is worship. And we are not the bride that hangs behind the door. We are the bride that comes out and says, yeah, baby, (laughs) that's who we are. Yeah, that's the worth that we have. Yeah. So every time you have communion as a single woman, you're not going to be having sex, but I want you to see that covenant renewing ceremony and yada your lover, Father, who is God, every time you have communion. That's not the only time, but that is your covenant reunion ceremony as well. Okay? Right. Those of you that are married, I want you to prime the pump so that you want to be sexual with your husband. One of the things that we as women do in long-term relationships is we tend, our desire tends to lessen. So you want to prime the pump. That means wear sexy lingerie. Yeah. Think thoughts about your husband that are good. (laughs) Or you want to be intimate. Yeah. So prime the pump. Have lots of sex. Women want relationship, and then they're able to have sex. They want the intimacy, and then they're able to have sex. But one of the reasons that I think God gave us such differing drives is so that we would have to learn to give to the other one. It makes us interdependent. So what we found is that women who go ahead and have sex, 
Now, it needs to be your choice. There's something in sex therapy that says, if you can't say no, you can't say yes. So you need to be able to say no, because then your yes means yes. But we need to be encouraging women to have sex when they're married. Because what happens, the more sex you have, they actually feel emotionally more, emotionally more bonded. So rather than waiting for that, go ahead and have sex, and it's actually, you get it. It's a feedback loop, okay? So I want to encourage you to do that. Have sex with your husband. Yeah. He'll be thrilled. <laughs> He'll love me. <laughs> All right, I want to leave time for some questions that you have. What time are we supposed to stop? Quarter till? Okay. So we've got about 15 minutes if you have some questions. So anybody have a question? Yes. Hold on one second. I want everybody to hear you. <laughs> well, you keep saying that when you're married to have sex a lot. So uh -huh. what do you define as like a lot? I know it's probably different, but... It is different for every person. Uh, we tend to think that people are having sex every uh, twice a day. And we tend to think that in this culture because of TV and all of that. It's like that's all they do is have sex. But that's not. Actually, frequency rates in this country are between one and two times a week. So... A lot can be twice a week. But I cannot tell you how many Christian couples are not having sex at all. At all. Yeah. Like, as a single woman in waiting who's preparing for marriage, what are ways, like, even just to be prepared to be the best version of you, even sexually? where it's not like slimy or whatever. Right, slimy, I love that. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good descriptor. Um, it is becoming a sensual woman in the best, in the way God intended it to be. One of the things that I'd encourage you to do is learn to move. Learn to move, dance, yeah. If. I hope I don't totally shock people, but um, if, if it, I could get away with it, I would have Christian stripper pole dancing. <laughs> it is because it unlocks for women that part of them that needs to be free, okay? So, outside of a stripper pole in your room, <laughs> you can dance and learn to move and be alluring. And you can do that with God. You can do that with God in the privacy of your room and learn to be alluring, okay? It's learn to love your body that's probably one of the biggest things is learning to love your body. Um, I had a, a friend who probably, she probably weighs close to 300 pounds. And uh, in, out in a restaurant, men were just hitting on her right and left. 
And you know what, what she said? I love my body. To me, I love my body. And you know what? Men don't care. They don't care in the bedroom. What they want is a wife who enjoys it. Yeah. Now, some women are married to men who, who do say things. And if that's the case for you, I'm really sorry. But that's their problem. Most men, that is not the case. They just want a woman who enjoys sex. Yeah. So, loving your body, learning how to be sensual yourself, enjoying that part of you, those are biggies. Yeah. Learning to be vulnerable and open, intimate. Learning how to be intimate with other people will help you be the best you can be. Any other questions? Yeah, how can a woman be alluring without getting a bunch of unwanted sexual attention? It is, being alluring is really one of the most attractive things about a woman is if she knows who she is. Yeah. So allurement is really about stepping into who you really are and all that entails. And if you get unwanted attention, there really is a vibe that goes out from someone who's unhealthily sexual. And it calls in attention. When you are just being you and appropriately alluring, you might get unwanted attention. But you know what? that's just not going to be an issue for you. You just don't go there, right? You just don't go there. If you're getting a bunch of unwanted attention, I would, have to, I would want you to check and see, are you sending vibes that say you're open to that? Okay. And sometimes girls, it just comes and they're doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. But we all have to learn how to just say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm not going to entertain that. And you know when it becomes life for you. You know when you start looking to see, am I being noticed? Are heads turning? When I walk in this room, do I get the attention of the males? Then you know I'm getting life out of that. And that's not what I mean by alluring. I need to get my value from my father. Yeah. Yes. I just got married about four months ago, and I feel like it's it's been this whole new lear learning curve about how much I don't know myself. Yes. And like, as far as singleness went, I feel like I went as far as I could before I got married, but. Um, uh, I guess my question is like how um, I was talking to someone recently and they said uh, it sounds like you don't even know what you need sometimes and I, I'm not really sure how to know because it's such a new right um, learning curve right. sort of so I guess that would be one of my questions and then to balance that with what you're saying about even in sex but in the relationship as well that um, 
part of the privilege of having such different drives is that you learn how to give. So what's the balance between learning to know what I need and learning to also remain in the posture of giving? And that whole... Great question. Great question. Um, in fact, I'm glad that you said it. Uh, there are multiple things I hope I don't forget that are really important that you said. Uh, one is when you come into marriage and, and the way it we want it to be is that you come into marriage as a virgin and so that you enter into that you don't know and bodies don't necessarily we think they're going to be bells and whistles and birds sing and you know it's, it's built up as this fabulous thing and sometimes it just isn't that way and so we need to because part of it is learning this person and actually sex gets better with age it does because you know each other and you know how things work. And so we need to tell people that when they go into marriage, not having been sexual before, to not just expect that it's going to be the best thing that ever happened. Now, if it is, great. But I, I remember I had a friend call me after her honeymoon and go, that's it? <laughs> that's what all the excitement's about? <laughs> It can be like that, but then it gets wonderful. Sex really is wonderful. So as you learn each other, it is important that we as women know our parts. <laughs> you need to know your parts. Most women don't know where their vagina is. I have clients that go, I don't know where to look. Yeah, they don't know. The, I haven't said this. Let me say this. The clitoris in a female has more nerve endings than any other place in the body except the penis. And the penis has another function. The clitoris is only for pleasure. That's all. Only for pleasure. And you know what? You need to know where yours is. <laughs> you need to know where your parts are because you are responsible for your own sexuality. So when, how can your husband know if you don't tell him? And we as women get squeamish. Somehow it's seen as shameful to know where your parts are but we need to know where they are so that you can tell him, touch me there, that feels good. Because sometimes it's not going to feel good and you need to communicate. Sex is always about communicating. That feels good another time and guys tend to go, okay, I got a plan, it worked last time. <laughs> it is going to work this time. <laughs> and it doesn't. Because women are so complicated. We are. We're complex. And that's the beauty. So he has to learn. We have to learn to talk and say, I want this. Somehow we think we're loose women if we say, I want that. God made you for pleasure. He gave you a clitoris. <laughs> You're the only one that has it. <laughs> no males have it. <laughs> 
It's only for pleasure. So knowing where those things are is important. Part of the discovery is for the two when you get married, the discovery together. That's part of the fun, but we get frustrated and think we're supposed to know. It's part of the process. Yeah, so just actually enjoy it. And sometimes it just is funny because it doesn't work, okay? So that's a part of the process, all right? You guys are happy when you enjoy sex. So when you're in charge of your own sexuality, that actually is giving to answer your question. It's actually self-giving. Because when I'm in charge of my sexuality, it's a win-win. Okay? Here's one. Okay, this is the last question, unfortunately. <laughs> right here. Right here. You, there we go. Um, you mentioned that men feel emotionally satisfied with sex, right? So, like they feel like their emotional needs are met when they have sex. So, my question is, outside of marriage, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, like, how can I make the one I'm with feel like I'm meeting his emotional needs without going there. Well, really, emotional needs are not met in sex. They're actually totally. met other ways. And so they can be a part of sex because it's complete. Right. But emotional needs are, can be met very readily as you understand and talk about feelings, as you are there and empathic for what he's going through. Those kinds of things where you can talk about even struggles and you're not running screaming out of the room, where you're there for him. That's a way to meet emotional needs, okay? Sex can take over and we don't learn to be intimate. Yeah, we need to be intimate, even in marriage. Be intimate, okay? So let me pray for you. We have to stop. I bless you. <laughs> I bless you with passionate, passionate sex if you're married. Passionate sex with your husband. I bless you with healing, restoration, and wholeness. I bless you with shalom. I bless you with freedom and deep, intimacy, that you would know the love of your father. I release the love of the father over you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, the love of the father over you, washing over you, that you would hear his voice. You would know as he yadas you. You would know the treasure that you are. That when you see his eyes, you see them light up in delight. We hope you have enjoyed this session. For more information, please visit our website at www.moralrevolution.com.